Welcome to St. James Parish in Wilmington, North Carolina. You can learn more about St. James on our website at stjamesp.org. Good morning, and please be seated. I really wanted to talk to you today from the passage of James, where he calls us to love our neighbors, to not show favoritism, and that mercy triumphs judgment. In my mind, I had a great sermon planned, but just couldn't get Jesus' response to the Syrophoenician woman in the gospel lesson out of my mind. Where Jesus refers to her as a dog. Over the centuries, the passage has been explained away by preachers trying to fit Jesus into their theological box. But at times, scripture, namely Jesus, doesn't behave the way we think he should. When this happens, I try to think of things, I, things that I do know that fit my image of Jesus. And one thing we know is that Mark says what he writes is good news. And for some reason, he has chosen to leave this not-so-good-news-sounding news in the gospel for us to grapple with. Some of the explanations include, oh, he's just talking about puppies. It means little dogs, and they're cute. Okay. But if I were the one begging for healing for my daughter, I would not want my physician to say, aren't you cute, but it's not your turn yet. Others say he's just teasing. Somehow teasing at a moment of crisis doesn't sound like the Jesus I know or what the rest of scripture tells us about him or his desire to heal. One that makes a little more sense to us is talking about, directs us toward the cultural tensions between the Jews and the Gentiles. There's plenty of that to go around because there's no fewer than 12 occasions in the Bible where the Hebrews refer to the Gentiles as dogs. Now, I have to wonder what the Gentiles called the Jews back then. Another more respected view explains how Jesus' vocation as a long-awaited Jewish Messiah was to bring the good news of God's kingdom coming to earth to the Jews, and then it would be the church's responsibility to spread that news out into the world. The Apostle Paul reiterates this in his letter to the Romans. Was this woman pushing the timeline? But why does the gospel passage make Jesus sound so harsh? Matthew's version is even more vivid. If we were in Bible study together, we'd sit around and I'd say, what do you think? And I would want to hear your responses. Because after all, there are occasions where Jesus comes across a bit stern and it doesn't fit our meek and mild images of him. He certainly didn't mind calling out the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He referred to them more than once as hypocrites, blind guides, snakes, and a brood of vipers. But interestingly, Mark, who uses 
a fewer, the fewest number of words of all the gospel writers includes one statement Matthew doesn't, which offers a little relief for me. After Jesus has fed five, the 5,000, he's walked on water, he's been accused by the Pharisees of not washing or being clean, never good enough for them. He's gone to this other side, over to the Gentile territory, and Mark's line that he adds is, he did not want anyone to know he was there. Was he looking for respite? In his humanity, had he carried all he could for one day, one week, a month? I do believe the answer is deeper than any of the suggestions I've offered, and it's deeper than this eight or 10 minute homily allows. But personally, I find it comforting that even Jesus said things at times that were misinterpreted, thought of as rude, and have been widely misunderstood for centuries. He knew rejection, and it often happened, if we go back and look at it, when he was trying to get away. This gives me hope for the times I can be a little abrupt or say things that don't come out right or don't sugarcoat it enough, especially when I'm tired. Someone shared an article with me this week by Nadia Boltzweber, who, as many of you know, often pushes the boundaries of tradition. And even though she can be a little crass at times, I appreciate her because it is clear that she loves Jesus and is absolutely sold on the fact that Jesus is where life is found. In this particular article, though, she addresses this 24-7 bombardment of the world's crises that we are constantly have from the media, Facebook, text, and emails. Just this week, within minutes of the new Hanover High School shooting, we had video footage scaring us all half to death, wondering if our young people were safe. As this new information entered our brains, unfortunately for some of us, the people of Afghanistan, Louisiana, those who had died in the Northeast, took a back seat in our brains. The people of Haiti, who suffered an earthquake on ancient history as of August 14th, were over come by the withdrawal of troops in Afghanistan the very next day. So Nadia Boltzweber likened what happens in our psyches with an old apartment complex she used to be in, in the fuse box, where she once lived and said she could never run her hair dryer and her stereo at the same time. Because the fuse boxes weren't made for the modern day appliances. Every time it overloaded, off went all the power. She said she thinks of that old fuse box often and doesn't believe that our psyches were developed to hold, feel, respond to everything coming at us right now. Every tragedy, every injustice, sorrow, natural disaster happening to every human being on this entire planet 
in real time of every minute of the day. She points out, yes, the human heart and the spirit were developed to handle all of this, to hold and to feel these tragedies. But here's the key, in our own village. I can't answer for whether or not Jesus felt this way, but he wasn't bombarded with all the trouble of the people in, the, in his own area, and now, as he goes to the other side, they're there. I can only imagine in his truly human state that he may have felt or experienced the same overwhelming feelings we sometimes feel. In his glorified state, thankfully, he's with us always. But I'm talking about in his humanity. In the article, Nadia leaves us, shares three questions that she now asks herself every day. And I'm, I want to share these with you and some of her remaining comments. Number one, what is mine to do and what is not mine to do? What is mine to say and what is not mine to say? There are things I need to stand up and speak over, and there are things that I'm not. What is mine to care about, and what is not mine? She says, what's not mine to care about? I can't go that far, but I can say, what is not mine to carry? I have a friend who recently asked me what I want to do, wanted to do. And then he said, okay. Now, what are you willing to give up to do it? It's the same concept. So if immigration reform is yours to do, thank you. It's enough. The world needs you. If disaster relief is calling you to go clean up Louisiana, Haiti, Tennessee, let us pray for you. Thank you for those who work with humane society and fight tirelessly for climate control. This is not about putting our heads in the sand, but if our circuits are overwhelmed, it's not because we're heartless, it's because there's not a human heart on the planet that can hear all that is happening right now. So thank you for doing, saying, and caring about what God has called you to do, say, and care about. The world needs you, and it needs all of us. Amen. <laughs>